a Podcast One production. We've always known that when people come up with their own solutions, that they're more committed to delivering on those solutions. We know that when they can generate their own solutions to problems, they're more likely to solve those problems. Basically, if we can support people to find their own way, they're probably going to be better off than if they're told to do something. I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe, as well as 11 of the top ASX-listed companies. And this is Fast Track. In the past, doing your job and managing your career meant having all the knowledge and technical expertise and knowing all the answers. Coming from a place of knowing, being the best at what you do, that's the way we progressed. Knowing and getting our team to do, and it was referred in some ways to command and control, very hierarchical leadership. It is impossible in 2020 to know all the answers. Impossible. The 21st century leader simply then has to find a different way of leading. Leading with and through multiple disciplines, not just one style and one skill. Being the coaching leader has become recognised as a critical component and capability of the effective leader, a way to enable and empower direct reports, peers and colleagues. But what is being a coaching leader really? To be frank, there is so much unqualified opinion on the topic and so many versions of the theme, it's easy to be confused. So I have invited the very best person I know over two podcasts to set us straight and to help us understand the many aspects of being the coaching leader. Dr. Travis Kemp is recognised by both industry and professional peers internationally as being amongst Australia's leading practitioners and thought leaders in the fields of executive coaching, leadership, peak performance and organisational psychology. Travis, your career spans 30 years of working in organisations as an organisational psychologist. Now you're working with ASX-listed companies, private companies in leadership performance and development. When did you first come across this coaching psychology and leadership style? Well, firstly, I feel very old when you point that out. (laughs) 30 years is a long time. And when I think back, I think when I first started um, doing what I do now, coaching psychology didn't really exist. And the whole notion of coaching was reserved for the sporting field. And I think, um, you know, back in the late 80s, probably early 90s, we started to discover that there was a different way of, of leading, potentially, and that some of the things that we learned about sporting teams, we could transfer into business and start to do that more purposefully in a more directed way. So I think that's where it started. And what was your experience? When did you first sort of realise that this actually might have some application as an organisational psychologist and rather than just being on the sports field? Well, it's interesting because we've in the psychology profession have known a lot about how humans sort of think, learn, grow and develop for a long period of time. And uh, it's, all, it's sometimes been difficult to apply that and have people uh, embrace that. And so coaching psychology really just taps into what we already know about how humans um, behave and, and what motivates them and does it in a more specific and, and structured way, I guess. So how does that apply to leadership? So I might go and see an executive coach, but how can a leader actually plug into the coaching psychology piece? What would that actually look like? 
Yeah, so we, we've always known that when people come up with their own solutions, that they're more committed to delivering on those solutions. We know that when they can generate their own solutions to problems, they're more likely to solve those problems. Basically, if we can support people to find their own way in life, they're probably going to be better off than if they're told to do something. And so the application of um, what we know about humans in the coaching psychology space is very much about helping people and supporting people and teasing out of people um, their own solutions and their own motivations and commitments and then helping them to find ways of, of getting to where they want to go. Look, I know in my experience as a consultant that people have accused this style of leadership as really being quite long-winded and taking a lot of time, so teasing out people's ideas and helping them think. What's your answer to the cynics who say that it's long-winded? Yeah, so that, I think that's a really good point because I've been hit by that a thousand times, I think, in my career. And so being a scientist, I, I get intrigued about that perception and, and I like to run little experiments. So we've done numerous just anecdotal experiments now, and I get my clients to do this, just experiment with asking a question versus um, providing a direction. And sometimes that might take two or three questions to get to the same point that you feel you needed to get to in the first place. But by going through that process, the person's come up with their own solution. And we time that and time how long it takes. And it, at very most, it may take 30 to 40 seconds longer than if I get into a situation where I'm directing somebody and then having to explain why I'm directing them and justify the direction. So the value, we're losing 30 or 40 seconds. What are we gaining? So I guess the, the benefit of that, the, the, the return on that 30 or 40 second investment, and look, this is a made up number. Sometimes it takes a, a minute, let's say two minutes, whatever. But the return on that investment is the likelihood of that person actually going ahead, delivering on what they say they want to do, deliver on and meeting your needs in terms of what you need them to deliver on just goes up astronomically. Um, and the likelihood of me having to come back and restate what's required or um, performance manage that person or, or ride them basically just dips markedly as well. So overall, the, the outcome is better for everybody. So you're saying the outcome is better for everybody, not just the leader, but the person who is being led. So help me understand the psychology behind it. What's going on if I'm being asked a question or being made to think you said I'm more likely to commit to doing an action, but what's the mindset? What's the psychology behind that for me? Yeah, that's a really interesting question because people, um, and people don't like it when I say this, but people do whatever they want to do. They don't do as they're told. And if you beat them with a large stick or threaten them with some sort of punitive measure, then they will comply with what you're asking them to do for as long as it takes for the stick to go away or for you to turn your back, right? And so... You know, if I'm in a situation where I'm constantly directing somebody who doesn't really want to go along with what I'm directing them to do, doesn't really see the point, isn't buying into the, to the whole idea, then as soon as I'm not riding them, they will do what they want to do. They'll either go slow, they'll put it on the back burner, they will let it slide, they'll transfer responsibility to somebody else, they'll deny, they'll and, and basically behave badly to avoid having to deliver on it. And that's not because they're bad people. It's just because there's not a process of engaging with the activity and making it my own and understanding it because there's been no space created for that. So the the real challenge is, you know, how do I start to understand how humans work 
at a fundamental level, understand that they like to be self-directed. They like to be um, self-managing. They do like to have a sense of agency and a, a sense of ability to be able to influence their environment. We have technical terms for that. We call it a locus of control. You know, humans tend to want to have an internal locus of control, be proactive, feel like they can have an impact on the world. When I'm feeling that, I'm much more likely to engage with you and I'm, I'm engaging you at, with you at that level, I'm much more likely to be successful in terms of delivering on my objectives and my goals. Which all lines up to meeting the objectives and goals of the leader, we hope. Correct. So the this idea of having this discretionary effort or self-directed learning, can people learn that themselves or do they have to be led by a great leader? I'm just going off the side here. We know we're talking about leaders being coaches, but mm. what if you have a leader who's not much of a good coach? Can you find that yourself or is it all over Red Rover if your leader can't coach? Yeah, look, I think it's a combination. It would be nice if the world was black and white, but there's a lot of grey in it. And what I mean by that is that even from a leadership perspective, and I've been studying and researching leadership for 30 years as well, um, we probably know in, in some respects less now than what we've ever known. What do you but mean? Not- Can I just pull you up on that, Tra- Trav? I'm, I'm, <laughs> I just want to stop you for a moment. Uh, we know less now than we've ever known, yet we know more about the human psyche yeah, so I'm being a little bit cheeky, but you know there is uh, we are bombarded by the latest leadership theory. Um, we're bombarded by you know um, consultants telling us that this is the new way of managing, this is a new way of leading, and we have very short memories. And it's interesting that when we start to look at what really great leaders do, then and I guess we can start to understand that really great leaders haven't changed a lot in the last 40 or 50 years. Really great leaders have consistently done the same thing. One of the things that they do brilliantly well is read a situation and modify their behaviour to the situation that's required. So one of the really challenging situations that we're finding uh, in organisations during the pandemic, for example, is that we've taught leaders in the last sort of 10 or 15 years to be very inclusive, uh, to be very, uh, I guess, supportive and use coaching styles as much as possible. And we've forgotten that during times of crisis, leaders actually do need to be directive and they do need to be a little bit autocratic at times because when situations arise that are legitimately and truly life or death, there's not a lot of room and space or value in having a coaching conversation. And we know this from military leadership for a long period of time. So it's interesting that, you know, we're starting to discover that situations warrant different styles of leadership. And whilst in the past we've relied potentially a little bit too heavily on directiveness and hierarchy and autocracy, perhaps we've now swung a little bit too far down the other end of the spectrum around the inclusive and supportive coaching style and perhaps we might want to sort of move to the mid-ground again. So I'm keen to understand your view of what's needed in the future as we none of us have a crystal ball and can view what sort of leadership is required. I know my research at the moment is suggesting that people are looking for calm, consistency, connectedness. They're looking for great clarity and their the reputations of the leaders and the popularity of the leaders are those that are mostly in the medical field and not those with hyperbole. But equally, it's leaning towards the Jacinda Ardern supportive, clear, empathetic leadership. So this idea of coaching, where does that come into this new world? I think um, coaching by its essence is respectful 
of the individual and the individual's ability to be able to come up with their own solutions. I think it acknowledges the fact that if those solutions are self-generated, they're more likely to be successfully um, delivered upon. And there is a deep sense of um, validation and unconditional positive regard shown in a coaching leadership model. It's interesting that, you know, as complexity increases, as predictability goes down, as, um, I guess, anxiety across the board, not only in organisations, but across society more broadly starts to increase, um, what is being asked for is the opposite of that anxiety. And yet what we're seeing in leadership populations more and more is that that anxiety is taking over their leadership. And so the term that I've had to start using is anxious leadership, where you know, you're seeing the signs and symptoms and behaviours associated with being in an anxious state play out in terms of the way leaders are trying to lead and interacting with others. So I think we've got some big challenges ahead. I think we, we are looking for ways of understanding anxiety more deeply and more importantly, finding ways to manage that. And how does coaching fit into that? Where do you think it might actually uh, be of benefit and potentially not benefit? Yeah, I think the benefit is in supporting people to find their own solutions. And when they do that, they're in a much more, um, I guess, empowered place. And when I feel like I'm in control of my world and, and my environment, at least the way I'm impacting upon it, that tends to be positive in terms of reducing anxiety. So there's if I can start to create supportive environments so people can do that, then they will learn over time to manage their own anxiety around it, I think, a little bit more. So I think that's really important. I think the challenge is managing my own anxiety as a leader, especially when I'm getting um, pressured from above. And, you know, this is a a very big and complex system. There are pressures on the system um, from multiple perspectives. And, um, you know, learning to understand where those systems pressure... um, the, the leaders within it and supporting leaders to understand that they are actually experiencing anxiety at one level and how to manage that at a very individual level will be uh, a big challenge but also a, a big contribution that we can make. So what are some of the principles of coaching approach that we might be able to label or give me some examples. I mean, I'm a practicing executive coach. I've been known to teach the odd class for leaders on coaching leadership. You've done it for 30 years. How would you actually describe the approach apart from the impact on the individuals? What would you see a leader doing? I think um, one of the things that probably doesn't get done that that is increasingly being done and I think is very valuable is just, it's, it's the narrative and the, and telling stories about who we are, what we're trying to do here and, um, you know, why collectively we can do that better together. And so coaching more, most broadly is just getting, I guess, helping people to get clear on where is it they really want to go? What is it they want, really want to contribute? How is it that they really want to be showing up and behaving? And how is it they want to be received? And what difference do they want to make in the planet? And what, you know, gifts do they want to contribute? And we can keep going on. But it's a very positive sort of framing of what is it that we want to do here? And then from there, sort of putting a stick in the sand and, said, so, and saying sort of, if, that, if that's what you want to do, you know, how will you know when you're doing it? You know, what what will it look like in terms of an outcome or a goal or you know, some sort of intention and how will I know will I actually get there? 
And then, you know, between where I stand here now and, and where that point is, what, what am I going to have to do in that space and how am I going to have to go about that? And, um, you know, what are the things that I'm going to have to be mindful of? So that's the most broad description of the coaching process that I can sort of come up with. And I guess what that does is fundamentally it helps people to think about what is it that I'm really out for? Who is it that I am and what do I want to contribute? And when I create that conversation with my leader, then I can line that up with where the leader's headspace is and the organization's headspace. Because what we know is that when I can line up my values and my intentions and my desires with those of the organization, then a lot of other things take care of themselves. You know, the, the need to be monitored, for example, starts to decrease because I'm, more, I'm perfectly aligned with where we're going. I know what needs to be done and I'm motivated and, and engaged to do that. So that's why coaching becomes such an important method that I can use in leading um, into the future. You said before that uh, coaching might have gone too far. So we went from command or control and the barometer might have swung too far. What would you do with coaching to bring it back to where you think it needs to be as a leader? Yeah, I think, look, definitely, you know, in the research space around coaching psychology and what coaching psychology is, it's very embryonic as a discipline. You know, it's only 20 years old, probably, um, where we've really been doing some decent research on it. And, you know, the belief, for example, originally was, you know, there's no place for telling people how they should do things and where they should go in coaching. So that's like the first generation of that coaching approach for a leadership. Yeah. And look, we're discovering now that, you know, there's some times where people don't have the skill set, the understanding, the insight or the awareness to be able to come up with their own solutions. Sometimes they do need to be taught. And this is another aspect of leadership that is not spoken about as often as what it probably needs to. The leader as teacher. You know, my job as a leader sometimes is to help you to learn skills and to teach you skills that you need to be successful. And sometimes you're not going to be able to learn those on your own. That's why we have teachers. Um, But for some reason, you know, we've taken that out of the coaching dialogue. We've set ourselves up as facilitators of one's own learning and own direction as opposed to being experts. And there there are places for a coach's expertise to be injected into those conversations. And sometimes it's really vital as a psychologist, for example, that I help my clients understand how their behaviour and thinking is playing out in terms of the results they're getting. And that is a very, the term that we use is psychoeducation. I help people to understand how your brain works and how you behave. Now, that's a part of my job as an executive coach. But, you know, traditionally, we wouldn't have said that, that would be appropriate. So I think, you know, as every disciplinary area grows and develops, um, and this is the joy of science, you know, we get it wrong sometimes, we discover things that we didn't know were there, and sometimes we have to change our perspectives on things. So am I hearing you correctly, those early days were very much around a purist approach to having a conversation when you're a leader with your people, um, never giving any answers and, and asking how all the time. But actually, where it's evolved to now is a much more situational approach and the coaching is just part of the toolkit that you need as a leader to succeed. That's right. That's right. And look, that that toolkit is becoming bigger and deeper. Um, You know, simply understanding how I respond in stressful situations and how my anxiety plays out. And, you know, one of the great things that um, uh, an anxiety epidemic has brought us is an understanding that a lot of people um, experience anxiety, that anxiety is a continuum. Um, One end of it, you know, 
there's lower levels of anxiety and we're flourishing as people. And the other end, you know, it's higher levels and we're floundering. But this is not a discrete point where I hit and suddenly say, I am suffering from anxiety. And so we're getting much better at understanding that. We move, you know, we have days where we're, um, we're flourishing with days when we're floundering. And how do I understand myself and manage myself and maintain myself so that I can spend um, more time up the flourishing end? It's not dissimilar to the way that I look after my physical health. I can't expect to maintain a high level of physical wellness and health if I don't eat properly, if I don't exercise, if I don't sleep properly. Um, so I think we're, we're starting to broaden our understanding and see that the, the coaching process is much more complex than simply um, getting clear on what you say your goals are, setting some goals and then holding you, holding you to account to achieve those. So on that point, Travis, and I absolutely love what you're saying, I, I'm on that point. Tell me about the proliferation of providers of coaching to leaders who are just saying coaching is actually lining your people up, holding them to account, telling them to do their SMART goals, finishing what they do and moving on, cutting off the bottom 25% if they're not doing it. Mm. So there's well, a lot of bullshit out there. Well, yeah. <laughs> Look, people like easy solutions. So they like flick the switch solutions where, you know, if I just plug and play this, my problem will go away. And that's partly the reason why we get bored and, and move on to the, our ne- latest leadership trend because... Once we plug and play that, or at least attempt to plug and play the next solution and find that it doesn't work, we get disheartened with that and go looking for another one. This is not easy stuff. Humans are not simple things. And behavior and, and thinking change takes a long time. It takes a lot of commitment. It takes, it takes a lot of persistence. You don't always get it right. It's not linear. This is one of the great challenges that we face in organizations constantly. You know, when somebody changes a behavior, if you expect it to stay perfectly changed forever, you're going to be disappointed immediately. That doesn't mean to say that they haven't changed. It means they're in the change process and that takes time. And unfortunately, if we're working in a commercial environment or an industrial environment where my performance is being managed and, um, I guess, uh, impacted on a quarterly basis on a revenue result, it's very difficult to be able to have the courage to sit with the anxiety of not performing in a quarter, to, to persist with a method that will take, you know, a year, two years, three years to yield results. And that's our biggest challenge in a lot of respects. So long-term leadership, this view of creating a leadership toolkit for yourself, one part of which is understanding of human behaviours and one part of which is to understand the psychology through coaching of human beings that we're leading. Absolutely. And probably the most important part that doesn't get spoken about is understanding myself and working on myself. Oh, that's when... interesting. <laughs> that sounds like something for our next podcast. <laughs> and that that is an even more complex task. But again, uh, once I can start to really understand myself and, and manage myself, then the, the, the benefits to everybody who uh, bumps into me just go through the roof. So, Travis, one last question about the approach and the coaching approach. How do you go about knowing what is the right approach for you if you're wanting to follow this up, if you're wanting to learn coaching skills and you're, you know, given this proliferation of ideas from providers, what's the best course to take to become a coaching leader? Oh, that's a fantastic question. Um, Is there a course? Yes, there's plenty of courses on offer. I think if you go looking for a course... There's a handful of things that really need to be in every course if they're going to be a quality course. One is an understanding and a component around understanding um, 
human psychology and leadership psychology and understanding that and acknowledging that the leadership challenge is complex, time-consuming, and there's no simple hits. Um, if you run into programs that say this is, you know, surefire, absolute winning and uh, a risk-free model for coaching, I would be running away from that at high speed. This is not easy stuff. It takes a little bit of time. You can't learn it in a weekend. Sometimes um, you can't learn it in a lot longer than that, depending on how well I understand myself and I know myself. So if there's no introspective component, if there's no looking at myself and getting feedback from those around me about how I show up as a leader now, and I guess um, how, how I positively or negatively impact on the people around me now, then there's something missing from the course as well. And if there's no opportunity and no logical sequence in the learning process, if there's no practice time, if there's no opportunity to be able to have a go at these skills in safe and secure environments and allow myself the space to be able to make mistakes and improve upon those, then it's probably not the course for you. Very difficult to learn this stuff in an uh, asynchronous online program on a weekend. So it's really, uh, I'm hearing you say it's a lifelong learning experience and just get into it and start the process of learning about the coaching psychology, the behaviour and how we can be a better leader through helping others think for themselves. Absolutely. And, and I think that, you know, just to emphasise that point, one of the things we know about great leaders, they're incredibly humble and curious people. They're very good at being learners. They're very good at being able to be hopeless when they're learners, make mistakes, learn from those mistakes and not take it personally. We don't speak about that often enough with leaders, but uh, it's a vitally important skill. Well, Trav, thank you so much for your time today to help us navigate this approach to being the coaching leader. And I've learned a lot. So next time we talk, let's talk about how we do this and how we bring it to life. Thanks so much. Cheers. Fast Track was presented by me, Margie Hartley, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer, Tina Matalov. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. To hear more episodes, listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au. Download the free Podcast One Australia app or search Fast Track Podcast.